Welcome to episode nine of the Sound, Body, and Mind podcast with the Bowen Center and Mental Health America of Northeast Indiana. I'm Brooklyn Beatty, heard weekday mornings on 97.3 WMEE, and today I have a special guest, Dr. Richard Rorold, Senior Psychologist for the Bowen Center. Before we dive into today's topic, I just want to remind you that if you have any questions about the topic today or want to learn more, you can text the word Bowen, that's B-O-W-E-N, to 46862. You can also visit the Mental Health and Wellness Hub under On Demand on WMEE.com. Well, Dr. Richard World, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for the warm welcome. I appreciate it. So today's topic is panic attacks. And let's just dive right into it. What exactly is a panic attack? Well, let's just start off by saying they're more common than people realize. Um, most people have had panic experiences, at least occasionally. Um, it's when it becomes more frequent and intense that it can be really a real problem for people. But what what is a panic attack? Well, let's let's back up a little bit and talk about what is anxiety because they're connected. Um, anxiety is something people are familiar with. It's it's a feeling we all have. It's a feeling that's unavoidable. Um, it's a normal emotion. Anxiety is the response our bodies and brains, minds have any time we face a situation that has two things going on. One, the situation is difficult, challenging. And the other thing is that the situation has an uncertain outcome. That means we're not sure what's going to happen. So notice that, folks. When you face a situation that's difficult and you're not sure what the outcome is going to be, if you notice what's going on with your mind and body, you'll notice that you naturally feel anxious. So it's a re- it's a response to situations like that. Mm-hmm. It's a response to anything our brain perceives as a threat. And that's individual. Um, what's threatening to one person may not be threatening to another. And that usually has a lot to do with our personal history, our, our, our unique life story. Right. Um, so we all have that. And you can't get rid of it because our, it's built into our system as a uh, a thing, as something to keep us safe, and even kind of a survival thing. But panic is a bit of a different animal. It's when the the anxiety becomes extremely intense, and we have these episodes when. We have intense anxiety. It's usually accompanied by some very strong physical sensations. Now, all anxiety has some physical aspects, but panic is is uniquely intense in the physical sensations that go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll often notice heart racing, rapid breathing, possibly dizziness. Uh, I may feel cold, I may feel warm, I may get sweaty palms, I may feel shaky, I may feel nauseous. There's um, a whole slew of symptoms that come along. Of, it's, a very, it's a very physical experience. And it's intense and it can be really frightening for people. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah. You, like? you mentioned a little bit at the very beginning of our conversation about how they're a lot more common than people realize. Are more people, or I guess I should say, are some people more prone to them than others? Or does everyone kind of fall under that category from time to time? Well, some people are going to be more vulnerable to them than others. And uh, for both genetic reasons and life story reasons, Mm -hmm. um, 
we know that anxiety and different forms of anxiety, including panic, can run in families. Now, it's not destiny. It's not as if, if my biological parent suffered from panic attacks that I'm destined to have them. Um, but, but the likelihood that I might is greater. So there's something in our physiology that can kind of uh, increase risk. But also our life story. Um, people who have suffered uh, quite a bit of trauma in their life, um, both as an adult and as a kid, uh, experiences of loss can contribute to that as well. Do you have any, any example of, you know, what could trigger a panic attack? It can be all sorts of things. Um, usually what happens is the, 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 earl, the first or early panic episodes are triggered by a combination of things. When, when, I, when I teach or talk about panic, I often use the image of a layer cake. Panic has a lot of layers to it that almost all need to be present for them to happen. And those layers can include, first of all, maybe some genetic vulnerability. Mm-hmm. tends to run in the family. Um, aspects of my past history. So we've talked about those already. But h- how much stress I'm under right now. That may be another layer. Um, another thing that's very common with the onset, the beginning of this panic problem, is it often happens when people are physically vulnerable. Mm, okay. In the course of my practice, and I've been in this uh, field for nearly four decades and uh, have worked with a lot of people suffering from panic disorder, um, most report that their early earliest experiences of this happened when they had the flu or a stomach issue or a bad migraine, something that had them in a, in a vulnerable physical state. So you have, and then another another layer is likely some level of str- you know struggles with worry and anxiety. So all those layers seem to sort of put us, if you will, kind of over the top into an ex- this experience of intense anxiety. Now, in the future, you know, when, when people have been struggling this for a while, uh, the episodes can seem to happen almost randomly. If you had a minute, I'll tell you a very quick story. I yeah. remember a woman I worked with who some of the – just completely randomly, she had one of her earliest and very frightening panic episodes when she was at a restaurant that had red check tablecloths. And there were times in the future if she was in a place where there were red checks or certain red things, it would it would tend to trigger them for her. Oh, it was like it a memory became, kind of it thing. Became, it became kind of a memory trigger. And she wasn't even conscious of it because, I mean, it's nothing particular about a certain color of tablecloth, but that was a, that was present and associated with this, that for her, a terrifying experience. So unbeknownst to her, there were actually certain cues in the environment that could trigger it. For some people, it could be a smell. There might be a aroma in the air at the time they've experienced them in the past and then being exposed to that aroma again could make them vulnerable to experience now. And you might not even probably know 
it's happening and it know it's the smell. No, yeah. You might not. So it can be a it can be a host of things as this as this moves forward. Which kind of leads me to my next question. So say you had a panic attack before. Mm-hmm. Can the fear of having another one be a trigger? Yes. Um, some people who are experts in this field will tell you that panic includes fear of fear. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, so I experienced, maybe because I'm exposed to a red check table cloth, whatever reason, I start to experience a wave of anxiety. I notice my heart pounding. I'm struggling to catch my breath. Well, those two things, those things are scary. I find myself thinking, am I having a heart attack? Am I going to stop breathing? Am I dying? Am I going crazy? Am I going to look stupid among people? And we have all those thoughts that accompany that first wave of anxiety. And those scary thoughts make us even more anxious. Mm. So we literally get anxious about being anxious. And you combine those things, and we can find ourselves in the midst of a very intense and potentially frightening, exhausting experience. A panic episode can take a whole lot of energy out of it. You know, some people ask how long they last, and it varies from person to person, but there comes a point where our, almost our bodies get so exhausted by the experience, there's almost like a, a collapse mm-hmm. um, that brings it to some sort of, a, some sort of an end. You keep talking about life experiences and how life experiences can play a role in this. Does that mean that uh, panic attacks are more prevalent in adults than children because adults have more life experience, or how does that work? It's a very hard question to answer because there's very little data out there about the incidence of panic among kids. Um, most, and, and, and it's almost always an underestimate. Because the studies about you know, how frequent a disorder is are usually based on records of people being diagnosed with it. Well, researchers can't always get a hold of the best data there because privacy issues and all sorts of important things like that. But there are many, many people who suffer from these things but are never diagnosed or you know, they, they may not know that there's help. They may be embarrassed about seeking it. Yeah. So one of the things that, that, frankly, folks, breaks my heart is anxiety and panic is highly treatable. Uh, and there are lots of people who suffer because they either don't know that or they're embarrassed that they're struggling. So let's talk about treatment. What are the treatment options if you are dealing with panic attacks and anxiety? Um, there are lots of options available. Um there are various forms of what you might call talk therapy, but it needs to be with a practitioner who knows what they're doing. Just, if you will, I and some of my colleagues sometimes use the term rent-a-friend. Um, rent-a-friend is when if you're seeing somebody and you're seeing somebody professionally, but the content of the work isn't that different from a conversation you might have with a friend over a coffee at your favorite coffee shop. Um, a therapist who knows how to treat anxiety is going to teach you about anxiety so you become a bit of an expert about it so it's less it, it can become less scary the more you just the more you know know and understand right. it 
and will help you develop certain skills and coping strategies. Um, it can help you re-engage with life. Because panic often leads people to become very avoidant of things. We become very scared of going into any situation where I think I might have one of those panic episodes. Mm -hmm. um, and, my life, and my world can kind of contract around me because of that. Because I don't, I don't want to go to that store because I had one of those episodes over there and I, and I wanna, don't want to go there. Um, it can even lead to a condition that's called agoraphobia where I, I, I'm so afraid of going out and about for what might happen that I'm afraid to leave my own home. Mm -hmm. um, not everyone with who struggles with panic experiences that, but some people do. So um, would your advice so, be to just talk to someone about how to avoid it? Um, I would recommend, first thing is to reach out to your, probably your primary care physician. Mm -hmm. She or he likely knows some people who, who are in this business and could be of help. Now, I do want to acknowledge medication can be helpful. Um, but we know that the combination of counseling with someone who understands how to treat panic and anxiety effectively mm -hmm. um, in combination with medication can be uh, the best benefit for many people. Now, say you don't suffer from anxiety, panic attacks or anything yourself, but you're with someone who is in the middle of a panic attack. Is there any way that you can help them in the moment? Definitely. First of all, kindness goes a long way. Um, you know, some people may find themselves feeling irritated or impatient. Uh, we want to avoid judgment. We want to be kind, compassionate, supportive. But more specifically, um, be present. Just be with somebody. Uh, I don't think giving people a lot of advice is necessarily all that helpful. It's mm -hmm. not usually helpful to say to somebody, okay, calm down. It's going to be okay. Yeah, some reassurance is well-intentioned. But telling somebody who's anxious or panicking, please calm down, doesn't work. It's In not fact, that simple. It, well, it, it increases, it actually increases their tension. Mm -hmm. Provide some reassurance. Be present. It may be helpful to guide the person through some deep breathing exercises if they can. Um, abdominal breathing can be helping, helpful in, in taking the edge off of the anxiety. I didn't say making it go away. It's going to naturally remit more on its own if we don't get into too big a battle with it and create even more tension. But abdominal breathing, you know, you can just have encourage the person to put one hand on their belly and maybe one hand on their chest and breathe in such a way that their belly moves more than their chest does. Okay. Because yeah. when we're anxious, we tend to breathe with our chest and shoulders. Usually short breaths, short right? Short breaths up, up in our shoulders. And it's, and that does not, it's not conducive to ha to a bit of a relaxation response. It's the belly breathing that helps. So maybe you could coach somebody through that a bit. And then encourage them to get some assistance and and reassure them that they're not defective, mm -hmm. they're not crazy, they're not broken, they're struggling with something that many, many people struggle with. Um, that can be extremely important and helpful. 
Well, is there anything else concerning panic attacks that I may not have asked you that you'd love to mention? Just one last thing. I don't know if people noticed, but while we were talking about this, you didn't hear me actually use the word attack. I kept talking about panic episodes, and that was that was not arbitrary. <laughs> um, when pretty much everybody uses the term panic attack, but I was taught by some very smart people over the years that words mean things. When we use the word attack, we make it even scarier. Because the word, when our brain hears the word attack, it panics a bit. It's a scary word. It's a scary word. Um, We often associate it with heart attack. Mm -hmm. And since our hearts can beat strongly when we're having a panic episode, um, you can see the association. So it it might seem like a small thing, but if, if you change the word from panic attack to just panic or call it a panic experience or a panic episode, you're sending a message to your brain that it's not as dangerous as it might believe. So just a small thought. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Again, once again, that was uh, Dr. Richard Rorold, senior psychologist for the Bowen Center. If you have any questions about today's topic or you want to learn more, you can do one of two things. Text the word Bowen, that's B-O-W-E-N, to 46862, or you can visit the Mental Health and Wellness Hub under On Demand on WMEE.com.